Go ahead and take a seat, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Ryan Church, one of the guys on staff here. And tonight, as Bailey just noted in her prayer, is an exciting night because we appropriately, Imho, begin a new series where we are going to be taking a look at relationships. And of course, on Valentine's Day, where we have a leaning towards the romantic persuasion of those relationships. Though I think when anytime we're talking about relationships, we have lessons to be learned in really the entire breadth of our relationship. So yes, romance, but even more so than that. And as we do this, we're going to enter into a conversation um, with the Old Testament book of Ruth, which I encourage you to read through on your own, perhaps sometime in the rest of the week. It's, it's a short little book. It's only four chapters in the Old Testament. So you can, you can read through that in, in one sitting and you can say, hey, I read through an entire book of the Bible this morning or with your core group or, or whatever. So, and, and one of the things I want you to notice about Ruth is that it's, it's wedged between one of the, what I might call one of the darkest parts of the Old Testament. Okay. Where all these people are doing what, what is only right in, in their own eyes or or even worse, they're doing what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then there's this awesome book of Ruth. And ultimately, uh, there, there are certainly some romantic, say, undertones to Ruth. But what it's really about is covenant relationship. It's covenant relationship, uh, one person to another. But even more so, it's, it's about relationship with God. So anytime we're talking about relationships, we're also necessarily talking about God. So I hope that you can see that as you read through the book of Ruth. And as we enter into a conversation the rest of winter quarter here. Uh, about relationships. Next week, some of you are familiar with uh, my friend Dave Lutz. He's going to be coming and sharing with us about expectations in relationship. And then after that, you're going to get to hear from our intern, Chris Thurton. He's going to be talking about taking risks. And then after that, uh, the last in of winter quarter, you'll get the opportunity to hear from Annika Leiter, our, uh, our neighborhood outreach coordinator. And she'll be talking about contentment. So we, I think we've got a, uh, a great lineup started. And to get it kicked off tonight, uh, I wanted to invite a couple who graciously did their Valentine's Day festivities on the early side. Uh, but uh, I want to tell you about them a little bit. Dr. Chap Clark has been kind of a mentor uh, for me uh, from afar. Uh, this fall, our staff read his most recent book uh, together, a book called Hurt. 2.0, uh, and I've been challenged by his messages in other contexts, both uh, academic and through Young Life. Um, Chap has a lot of degrees uh, that prove how smart he is. He's got letters like MDiv and PhD behind his his name. But what uh, the reason that I wanted uh, Chap and D to come is that they have spent most of their adult life really serving and studying uh, youth. And anytime you have letters like Chap has behind his name, what it means is that, is that you spend a lot of time observing and, and studying people. And so they have a great message to share. They love people. They love students. And probably themselves got most uh, learned or tutored by their three, uh, their three grown children. So please join me in welcoming my friends Chap and Dee Clark. Hey, hi. Uh, as soon as, I'm Chap, by the way, and that would be I'm Dee, Dee right hi. there. 
And uh, it's really, really fun to be at the inn. We've heard about the inn for an awful lot of years. There's a history and a legacy of this place and this what Ryan and the team is doing and you guys are part of that we've heard about for a long time. Now, he said all this stuff about me, didn't hardly say much about her. You're going to realize about five minutes into this that she's the brains of the operation. She's the depth. I am the mouthpiece and the screwball. So you're going to figure that one out as we go. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things about this whole book of Ruth and one of the themes that's going to be coming up as you guys do this for these four weeks is that it's filled with basically three words that summarize life. Mystery, chaos, and disappointment. And a, a big part of my role, I work for a, a school called Fuller Seminary. I don't know how many of you guys have actually heard of that. And Ryan, didn't, you didn't even mention that you're about to graduate after ten short years uh, going after that degree. Uh, Fuller Seminary's been here in Seattle for 40 years, and uh, I'm, my job is the... Uh, I'm in charge of these regional campuses. We have seven of them around the country, and one of them is here in Seattle. Uh, and the main campus is Pasadena, and it's the largest seminary in the world, but it's also the one that says we love Jesus, we care deeply about what's happening in the world, how do we put those together? So I just have to make that statement. If you're thinking at all about taking a couple of classes, consider Fuller, because we're here in Seattle, and uh, that's why we get to live up here in Gig Harbor. Um, but the, the, these these words, mystery, chaos, and disappointment, uh, a big part of what I have done, especially the last 10 years, is studied, especially high school kids around the country. And uh, Dee and I are going to share a little bit of our story in a few minutes, and you're going to hear about our, our journey together through this. But as I have spent, especially the last 10 years, trying to understand what's gone on in the life of teenagers and how they experience the world... And have written about that and talked about it and continue to study that and have other people that are studying it as well. Those three words, kind of, especially the third one, summarizes so much of the high school experience, at least some piece of it on the inside. Uh, definitely there's mystery. Clearly there's chaos. But disappointment attached to this culture of performance and conformity and image and every one of you guys, by the time you hit college and you start to reflect a little bit more on life, if you take the time to think about growing up, uh, there's probably eventually you're going to bump into the pieces and the places where you have been wounded, where you have recognized that you've had an agenda that's been thrust upon you across kind of ever since you're a little kid, where you knew you were loved when and if you perform or conform, or you look a certain way or you talk a certain way. And that takes a toll. Then you hit college, which is a great time of life because you're finally moving out of this thing that scholars call mid or middle adolescence, which is marked by simply survival and trying to figure out how to maintain a sense of self in the middle of so many agendas and so much performance. And you get to college and you still have agendas, but you're a lot more responsible for you to figure out what agendas you're going to go after and what you're going to kind of avoid. And as you get up, get a little bit older through college and you get ready for adulthood and you start to move in to your mid-twenties and your late-twenties, life not doesn't become less mysterious or less chaotic or less disappointing. In fact, it becomes far more all three of those things. And so the book of Ruth, it begins with a neat, clean, wonderful story of Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth and the, 
the family that they had, everything that they had dreamed of, and then life begins to fall apart. As you guys read that in your, in your small groups and as individuals, you're going to see quickly that life was incredibly mysterious, extremely chaotic for those women as the men in their life died, and then it was disappointing. And in the midst of all that, there's this God. In the midst of running in circles, in the midst of trying to figure out how to create a sense of order and safety and place, there's this great God. And he's kind of in the background, but his smile, his incredible mercy and grace and power and majesty and love just covers that book. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And, you know, we're, we're a couple of old old kind of, well, I'm old, D's still middle-aged, okay. And all you know so far is we're attractive. That's all you got to go on. <laughs> and uh, But we're going to kind of tell our story. And because maybe sometimes, occasionally, especially at this point in your life, it hopefully is encouraging when you hear uh, the story of a couple of kids that were kind of young, about your age, I was a little bit older, uh, and what God did in the midst of, of mystery and chaos and a lot of disappointment. So Dee's going to kind of begin. I, I teach at Fuller. I've already said that, and she's going to tell you what she does and begin our time of talking about our story. Um, I'm a marriage and family therapist. Um, it was an amazing thing for me to walk into the church tonight because I grew up um, as a child with my grandparents um, as elders and singing in the choir and playing the organ, and um, went to Camp Furwood and Malibu and um, the horse camp back there. I also now do equine-assisted psychotherapy. I'm a cowgirl at heart. I have two horses. Um, grew up um, in a divorced home. My folks divorced when I was five. And my mom um, cooked on a dude ranch in the summers in Cleelum so that we could spend time with horses. Bought my first horse at 10. And um, now I get to blend those two passions in my life of doing therapy and using horses to help people heal. Horses are an amazing um, animal. They're intuitive, and they mirror back human behavior. So that's a little bit about who I am um, Growing up in a divorced home, uh, my mom was single for 10 years, and um, most of my adolescence, I think I was looking for father replacement, um, dated pretty seriously a guy that was nine years older, um, sexually active, went to college, um, looking for something more, really looking for the Lord. I heard in church who God was, but really had no idea how to develop a personal relationship with Christ and didn't hear that until college when I started Young Life as a leader and a, a couple took me under their wings and discipled me. And um, when I started college, I was dating a guy, quickly became engaged, lasted a year. He broke up with me when he started law school and... Um, I was devastated and depressed, and I will never forget a moment laying on my bed and saying to the Lord, um, and calling out to the Lord, I want to be where you are. I need you. And surrendering all of who I was to him. 
and I believe that was 19, 20 years old. And that next year of growth was absolutely amazing, where God just started to open up um, the mysteries of who he is, and the scriptures came alive. And one year later, I went to Woodleaf Young Life Camp, and I was a wrangler working with horses, 1980, uh, 21 years old. Didn't want to date. I'd been not dating for a year, was in love with God, no desire at all to have a relationship. And um, up walked uh, week four. <laughs> I was taller then. <laughs> I never dated anybody under 6'4". My brother played uh, professional football, and up comes this short little squirrely guy whose program... And um, biting raw eggs and looking really goofy. And I'm like, okay, I don't know who you are. But um, we had an opportunity to sit together at a table um, at a coffee house at a Young Life camp one night. And it was the crosstalk night. And some kids from Auburn, California, um, after the crosstalk, were drinking at camp. And the leader that was with them came up and said to us to chat, you have to go bust this, these kids because they're drinking, you know, and this is a Christian camp and they can't do that. And, uh, and so Chap got up and left and five minutes later he came back to the table and he had tears in his eyes. And he's like, I just couldn't do it. My heart just broke from. And I said to myself, I like that guy. Take so. notes, fellas. Take notes. Okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, August 4th, 1980, um, <clears throat> August 5th, 1980, uh, I, I walked onto this camp and uh, I was going to be the program director. That means at a Young Life camp, those of you that have been around Young Life, uh, you have these people that do absolutely goofball things so kids will come to Jesus. And you do funny stuff and you get them to do games and activities. And that was my job. I was on Young Life staff after three years. I had a master's from Fuller. That's what we used to do in Young Life at the time. And I was starting a new area in Young Life, and uh, I meet Dee. She's on this what's called the summer staff, which were almost all college students your guys' age. And uh, I was a few years old. I was 25. And in my own journey is I went to uh, you know, the, really the Harvard of the West. If UW's the Yale of the West, then UC San Diego, the Mighty Tritons. You've probably heard of them, right? They won the Div- Women's Division Three Badminton Championship in 1975. This is one powerhouse. <laughs> But I gotta tell you, the surfing in Del Mar, California is a little better than here, you know, uh, in Queen Anne. Just it's something to kind of, and, uh, so in, in, in college, uh, I, I did Young Life and I did church and was really active in everything except for school. I just had a great time and surfed just about every day and had great friends, fell in love with this girl that, uh, kind of an on-again, off-again relationship with her. We actually got engaged as well right when I was about to graduate, and then she decided that it wasn't going to work. That was my first year of Young Life staff and in uh, seminary. So I went the next two and a half years just pouring into my ministry, which was what I would call my faith, but really it was a faith that was trying to form inside of me, it was a trust in Jesus, but a trust in Jesus that worked itself out with the kids at Glendale High School. And my deep commitment to my job for young life to reach out to kids in the name of Christ and, and to somehow connect 
to these kids. And yet inside was a, I was devastated by that relational experience. My dad worked for IBM, stands for I've been moved. I don't know how many of you know that, but we moved a lot. And, and again, like D, except my dad was in my life. My, uh, my parents were rather distant from me and they were disconnected from my faith journey. But I, I wouldn't looking either for a, a, a soulmate. I was looking for any girl that I could date for a few weeks or a month or two and be done and just kind of, I was going to give my life to my work and my ministry. Because on the inside, there were things that God was wanting to do. But he, like D, he was forming in me this, recognition that he was calling me somewhere and that the the disappointment and the chaos of just being kind of young and passionate and excited about ministry still on the inside there was a lot of incongruity a lot of brokenness I was trying to figure out and at that time women in my life were simply not a part of the answer they were just a part of the recreation to be honest with you not very fair at all, I had a terrible reputation, and Dee may talk about that in a second. But um, so then I get to Woodleaf and I meet this this girl in a short, really short, kind of red gym shorts and a and a <laughs> and a horse uh, a sweatshirt that had things horses produce. If you're out there in the paddock shoveling all over that sweatshirt, I remember that. And I looked at her and I met her and. She was obviously, you know, really cute and really cool and fun and didn't think a lot about it till about two or three days later. And uh, during that first week, we started talking and we ended up talking late at night. And what I remember about her was uh, was there was something radically different about her. Everything that inside me the Lord was pulling together as I got to know her is the, the chaos and the disappointment really shifted under that banner of the mystery of God because here was a woman that not only was beautiful and really fun, uh, but someone who had this kind of insatiable appetite for Jesus. And if a guy is part of the package, that's fine. But it wasn't about guys. It was about Christ and his mission. And so as we're talking until 2, 3, 4 in the morning every night for three weeks. Just talking. Yeah, mostly. <clears throat> Yeah, we can show you nooks and crannies of the dining hall at Woodley. If I had all the keys as the program director, that's a whole other story. <clears throat> when you're married, we can chat about that. And uh, at the end of the time, this weird thing happened. The night before I'm leaving to L.A., she's going back to Seattle. She was at ASU, going to transfer to Whitworth probably. And she's 21 turning 22. I'm 25 turning 26. And we're kind of saying goodbye the night before we're leaving. And all of a sudden, kind of it came out of me. I, I said to her, you know, I kind of want to carry on this relationship and, you know, uh, maybe um, kind of think, do you want to marry me? Three weeks. Three weeks. I asked her to marry me. It wasn't like, like you guys do it nowadays, you know, plan it for four months together, get a video team on an airplane somewhere <laughs> or, at, you know, it's at the 50 yard line of one, of one of the Seahawks losses. You can pick almost any week, but, and... I didn't say you dub. Come on. Uh, and it was like it just kind of came out. And so I asked her to marry me. And uh, that's where she can kind of pick up the story from there. <laughs> and she said, I'll think about it. 
and got in her V-dub van and drove back to Washington State by herself and um, thought, that's a really fun summer romance, but there's no way in the world I'm ready to get married. So that next week, um, Chap's calling, want to come up, want to meet your family. He flies up, <laughs> pursues, pursues, pursues. Flies up, meets the family. The family loves him. I'm like, come on, really? I mean, nobody's like saying caution. They all love him. We come to church here. I take him to the chapel where my parents got married, and he proposes again. And this time I'm like kind of emotional because we're in the chapel where my parents got married. And so I said yes. And then an hour later on the bluff of the house, I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't do it. (laughs) And so he flew back home with his tail between his legs and a little disappointed and chaotic and uh, wondering what in the world God was up to. And that next week, we were both praying a lot and driving in my car one day, listening, praying and listening to this song by Randy Stonehill. It's, he's an old artist because we're old. Um, so 19, late seventies, early eighties, uh, called appropriate for today, King of Hearts. And, um, It was as though God was sitting in the seat next to me in my van, and I could audibly hear him say, you are supposed to marry chap. I'm like, really? (laughs) Really? So, out of obedience, I'm all about surrender and obedience, right? So I call, and I'm like, okay, what were you doing at 2 o'clock today? And he said, well, I was praying for you, and I said, well, God told me to marry you, so I guess yes. And that was August, September, mid to late September. He proposed December 27th as a wedding date. Really, I mean, can you even plan a wedding in that short a time? And I prayed for my emotions to catch up to my obedience to the Lord. And I sent my wedding invitations out thinking, This is nuts. I'm going to call. I'm going to have to tell all these people it's off because I don't have any idea what I'm doing other than I'm following God and my flesh and my emotions had better catch up. And mentors in my life said to me, keep moving forward until you get to the wedding day. And if you're not sure, then you can call it off. So, by the way, take note of that. That's true. You're not promising anything until you stand before the Lord and promise your life together. You can break up at any point. We wrestled. We fought. We fought over theology. I moved. He was in L.A. I was in Seattle. I went and lived with a couple so I could spend a couple weeks, you know, in the same vicinity as he lived um, to get to know him a little bit. And we... We fought over theology and we met with people and we, you know, had people speak into our lives and tell us, you know, who he is. And one couple said, you're out of your mind. You should never get married to him. He's not ready. Um, And one month before the wedding, 30 days, I had a total 100% peace from the Lord and walked down the aisle December 27th, 1980, um, convinced in every part of my mind, body, soul that this was the right decision. 
31 years later, we sit before you guys telling you our story of just a, a guy and a girl who were trying to figure out what does it mean to love Jesus and to figure out what's going on in the inside and who do we long to be, what do we want to do for our careers, where are we going to live, what are the kind of person we're going to marry, and all the stuff we try to figure out as we grow up. And But because both of us, about a year before we got, we met each other, went through this process and period of really focusing on the Lord, of, of surrendering to the Lord, of asking the Lord to reveal himself in whatever it takes, and being fully invested and committed to that, regardless of the chaos and the disappointments. We both had gone through enough pain and struggle in our own personalities in our own world that we knew that at the very center of anything else that was going to happen, whether it's career, job, ministry, uh, marriage, kids, money, whatever, it was because Jesus Christ was at the center. And here's one thing that you, you're going to hear a lot, is that when you get married, somehow, it depends on the church and stuff, but it's like the Lord kind of calls the guy and the woman's job is to kind of grab on the guy's back. And Dee and I never believe that. We think, now, we think that's not only dangerous, we think it's absolute error. Because God created male and female. God created humanity. God created the male and female in his image. Humanity, the Hebrew word is Adam. So when we say Adam, that actually is, is the prototype for men and women, all of us. That as I love Jesus, then my life will take on a whole new hue, a whole new experience. As she loves Jesus, then God takes her. And then when we come together, when we met, that's the spark that was inside both of us. Um, that, that drew us later to do a theology of this, and figure it out. And we've written three, actually three books together. And uh, one of them was kind of a marriage devotional where we started to work out some of this stuff. And we came up with a new way of thinking about marriage and relationships and, and boundaries and priorities by seeing life instead of as a linear thing. i got to love God, then I love my spouse if I get married, then if I have kids, and then my job, and then I get around to softball and lacrosse or hiking. Kind of this linear, well, nobody lives that way. You can't. But living from the inside out is what we believe God was calling us to. This is before we even met. As I love Jesus then, and I meet Dee, and we covenant together the relationships that throughout the book of Ruth, is that as I love Christ, Christ compels me to have as my number one expression of my love for him, my love for her. And that means whatever comes our way, my role in life is to lay my life down as Christ laid his life down for the church. That's what Ephesians 5 means. And the same thing goes as D centers her life on Christ, surrenders to him. So that's expressed in her love for me. So it's not this 50-50 back and forth. It's not her following me in my career. It's two people fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, recognizing that he's called us together. And then out of obedience and surrender to him, we serve one another. And that's what we've been doing for 31 years. Then in the journey, kids have come along and job changes and money issues and career, and a lot of things. But it starts at that center, you guys.
And that's really what the scriptures are talking about. When Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. The rest is in surrender. As we were running in circles, as Stonehill sang in that song, King of Hearts, we were just needing to reach out and grab the hand of the King of Hearts and all of life begins to make sense. The mystery comes together in him. And so where have we been since? In three minutes or less, the last 31 years. Um, we have a dear friend who passed away in a car accident several years ago, Mike Iaconelli who was a soulmate of ours, hot-headed little Italian guy, um, who said at the end of his life he wants to be able to say to himself, what a ride. And um, we can say that today. Um, It's been an amazing ride, full of all of the chaos and mystery and disappointment um, but an incredible ride. Um, we were on Young Life staff for a lot of years. Left staff, chaps started teaching at Denver Seminary. I did my seminary degree at Denver Sem, started uh, marriage and family therapy. Three kids that are 30, 27, 24. Um, moves from L.A. to Colorado to L.A. to Seattle, back to L.A. and back to Seattle. Um, And the one that I want to tell you about tonight is the one that occurred with our third child, Katie, um, between her sophomore and junior year in high school. The boys had graduated from a high school in L.A. She was the last one. She went up to Malibu. She was in a faith crisis and we felt like we were losing her, and she felt like she was losing herself. And uh, after she'd been on work crew, she came up to us and said, I can't go back to L.A. Mind you, our jobs are in L.A. I have a full practice. He's teaching at Fuller. And our response to her was, well, you know, tell us why, and we'll pray. We'll pray as a family. We prayed, and within a week, um, we were convinced that God was saying, You need to take her voice and her needs seriously. And she and I moved to Gig Harbor, Washington. I flew back and closed my practice down. Chap came up when he could. Our extended family support was up here. And God, it didn't make any, talk about confusion and mystery, didn't make any human sense. Since that time, God has unfolded clearly what that move was about in her life and in ours. But we had no idea other than we sensed that it was right. Um, Anything you want to say about that? Just to share with you guys that God has an amazing journey in store for you. Every one of you, male and female, you're created in his image. He's got something in mind for you. The king of hearts on Valentine's Day, has created you in his image. He's redeemed you through his blood on the cross. And he's called you to this grand adventure so you can say, what a ride. And in the chaos and disappointments of trying to figure out how to get through college and as you move towards romance and jobs and money and family, extended family, just know that this one has come. And that's what this faith is about. 
So 31 years or 35 years from now, you can sit in front of a bunch of college students and say, this thing we call Christianity is not just one more thing in our life. It is really life itself. And it's the greatest gift you'll ever know is the love of Jesus. So what we want to do is play the song from this cheesy singer from the 70s named Randy Stonehill. He's still around doing Christian Great concerts. hair. Wait till you see the hair. If we okay. have the picture of it. And the song is called King of Hearts. And if you can get over the 70s folk style of the music, okay. He raps in the middle, so it gets kind of cool. But other... <clears throat> yeah. But... If you can allow yourself to maybe close your eyes and relax and listen to the lyrics, that is the song that God used to bring D and me together that day in the van. And that tells the story of the journey that we've been on and that he longs for you. So let's listen to that song and then we're done.